No, you guys don't need to get your eyes checked. That's some quality pre-HD footage right there. Um, unless you're one of the people that have contributed to the 6.5 million views of this video on YouTube, this video is called Stop and Hear. And this video is of a guy, clearly a musician, named Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell is not just any musician. Joshua Bell is a Grammy-winning musician. He has over 40 albums that have been, that have been released. At 17, he was, uh, made his debut at Carnegie, Carnegie Hall. And he's recorded, like I said, over 40, 40 albums. He's been on plenty of TV shows. He's been on The Tonight Show and CBS. He's even made an appearance on Sesame Street. He's good looking. He's named uh, people's, one of people's 50 top best looking people in the world. So like, you know, he's got that going for him too. Some guys get everything. Um, and this is what he does. He does a social experiment, right? He is playing in Washington, D.C. And he's playing in Washington, D.C. He's playing in a subway. And people are just passing by him and he's got a baseball hat on and normal clothes on, if you can't tell. And he is playing a set, a 45 minute set that he had actually played the night before at uh, the Library of Congress. So he, this is the social experiment. He's gonna play his, uh, his music in front, of, in front of people that clearly don't recognize him um, for 45 minutes and he's just gonna play his music. And what happens is he has almost 1,100 people pass by him during that time. He's got seven, and maybe you saw them, there's one in a red dress, seven people actually stop and listen to his music. And there's one person, that lady at the end, there's one person that actually recognizes them. Hey, I saw you last night, I know who you are. And that's what happens during this 45 minute set. Now don't feel too bad for him, he did make $32 during his, during his time, so he got paid for his work. But my favorite part of this whole entire like, social experiment is the violin that he's playing. The violin that he's playing is no ordinary violin. See, the violin that he's playing is worth $3.5 million. He's playing a very special violin, and people are so busy, they just walk right by, have no clue. Like, can you imagine if some guy just had $3.5 million in cash, like, hanging out? Like, what kind of attention that would draw? But no, they just walk, walk right on by. He had played the night before, like I said, at the Library of Congress, and the, and the ticket value, just to get into that ticket, the cheapest ticket was 100 bucks. So like clearly, like this guy is worth listening to. Two years ago, I had a student come up to me. Um, and if you don't know, my name's Christian. I'm the middle school director here at Eastridge. So two years ago, I had a middle school student come up to me. And he said, hey, Christian, I really like how you tell stories when you do the talk. We, I don't say preach. I don't know why. We just, it's a young life thing. Call it the talk. So I really like when you tell stories when you do the talk. And I realized at that point, like, hey, I'm not above taking a compliment or fishing for even more compliments from a 12-year-old. So I said, oh, yeah, why? And he, he goes on, he goes, hey, I really like how it's so easy to understand and make the connection between what you're talking about. Like, I actually remember the stories. And I was like, oh, that, that's great. That's cool. That, in fact, that's the whole reason why I'm doing it. That's my purpose. And contrary to popular belief, especially in our middle school room, the internet has not existed for, like, eternity. Like, there was a time where the world did not have internet, and Jesus did not have the internet. So Jesus was not able to tell stories via YouTube, like we did there, right? There was no, like, ministry memes or spiritual Snapchats or anything like that. Like, Jesus had to use old-fashioned storytelling to make his points, and he does that. In fact, Jesus was a masterful storyteller. Even to this day, we talk about and hear about some of his stories. Even people that aren't religious or don't know the person of Jesus will refer to some of these things. Things like the Good Samaritan, people will talk about. And, uh, or things like um, 
uh, prodigal, like the prodigal son. We'll hear that term thrown around with people that don't even know who Jesus is. That's the power of some of the stories that he's done. I had a friend in college, and I think we all have this friend, right? But mine was in college, uh, that could quote like, like three movies from start to finish, right? Do we all know that guy? So this person could quote like tons of movies, and he would rattle them off, and yes, one of them was Princess Bride. And he would quote these movies all the time. And he would get bad grades in school, like worse than me, which is saying something. And I'd be like, man, what is going on? You have an amazing, amazing memory. And he'd be like, I I just can't process the facts from my class into like answers on tests. Like I can only understand it in, in story form. I've got two little girls, one's three, one's four, almost five. And every night they go, Daddy, Daddy, will you please, please just rattle off some facts for us? Will you, will you actually go over the house rules? I love that one about not jumping on the couch. Just tell us that one again. <laughs> no, they go, Daddy, Daddy, will you please tell me a story? Better yet, read me a story or tell me a story. Like, Jess, I want to hear a story. Politicians have figured this out, right? They don't go, hey, guess what? We're raising your taxes 500 bucks. It's for schools. Good luck. No, they bring up Johnny, and here's Johnny. And Johnny, he's only used number one pencils his whole life. And, and if you vote yes on Bill ABC123, Johnny is finally going to be able to use number two pencils. Like, yes, every kid deserves a number two pencil, right? That's what politicians do because they know they're going to pull at your heartstrings. You're going to connect with it. And when you see that on a voter's ballot, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Johnny, number two. Yes, right? Stories are so powerful. And Jesus knows this. And this is what he's going to do for us. He's going to start rattling off some stories. And these stories, what Jesus, what Jesus uses are called parables. And we're starting a series on parables, now, hardly anyone can agree, I, did, I read a bunch of commentaries this week, hardly anyone can agree on a, on a specific definition for what a parable is. The, the thing that they can't agree on is whether you're defining them or explaining them, or explaining their characteristics, that no specific definition is true of them all. But let's not get into the weeds. That's actually funny, you'll get that later. Um, but let's not get into the weeds. Uh, <laughs> let's just say this, they're short, they're simple, and they're everyday stories with a point. And they help us understand spiritual truths by using everyday objects and relationships. There's a guy by the name of C.H. Dodd. He's a Welsh New Testament scholar, and he's the author of the book called The Parables of the Kingdom. And he says this. He says, at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and living in the mind in sufficient doubt to its precise application to tease the mind into active thought. That sounds smart, and it is, but that's exactly what it is, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the very first, very first parable um, that Jesus tells, and what he does is he's going to use common life language. He's going to use a common scenario for the people. He's going to leave sufficient doubt in it, su- su- significant like questions on how to apply it, And he's going to hopefully tease our mind and tease the people that he's speaking to, tease their minds into active thought about it. So let's set the scene for this first parable. This first parable is a really cool parable. I'm super excited I get to talk about it because this parable uh, has a lot going for it. First thing, it's in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Second thing, this is the first parable that that Jesus tells. 
So that's really cool. And the third thing, the best part of it, is that this is one of, Matthew does one other parable where he, he explains this. But this, for let's say, this is the only parable where Jesus actually explains what the parable is about. Like he gives the parable, lets people hang on, and he's like, hey, guess what? I'm going to give you the answers. Here you go. And this is the only parable that that, that happens to so really, if you guys don't want to pay attention, this is the sermon not to pay attention to. You can just go home, open up your books, and Jesus will like give you the cliff notes at the end, right? But if you want to hang around and you want to listen, let's dive into it. This first parable is called the parable of the sower. And it starts in Matthew. We're going to, we're going to read uh, the, Matthew's version of it. It starts in Matthew. It's in chapter 13, and it's verses 1 through 23. So feel free, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. You can follow along. If not, all the, all the um, scripture will be up on the, on the screen there for you. So it says this. Let's, let's crack this open. In Matthew 13, verse 1, it says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the others stood on shore. I want to pause right there. Uh, I recently, actually like a month ago, just got back from Israel. I got the opportunity to go to Israel with our church. It's amazing. If you ever, if you got any kind of like, maybe, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, just do it. Go. It's worth it. Just got back from Israel. And when you read this, the first thing it says, Jesus went out and sat by the lake. And this lake is actually the Sea of Galilee. And in my mind, before going to Israel, I always pictured the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, like an ocean. One, it's called the sea. That's confusing. And two, we hear that like there's a big storm on it, right? And like people freak out. So clearly, this should be like a big, big oceany sort of like water. Well, when you go, you realize it's really not. I got a picture here from when I was there. This is from our, uh, from our hotel where we stayed. staying. We got to swim in the Sea of Galilee, which is super cool. But what you can see is the Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide and 13 miles long. And in fact, it's not a sea, it's a lake. It's not salt water, it's, it's fresh water. And if you can kind of see in this picture, um, there's a, it's surrounded by mountainsides. Like, you've got Jordan on one side, which is all Jordan mountains, and then on the other side, you've got the Judean mountains in, in Israel, on that side. So it's, it's kind of sunk down in this little hole and surrounded by mountains. And as you can also see from standing on the shoreline, you can see across at any one point to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So what you could do is you can kind of get this picture of Jesus becoming a rock star, and people are following him around, Right? And imagine, like, you see a camp set up, and you could see across, you can see the lights, and you can imagine as Jesus is traveling, people are going, there he is, there he is, there he is. And they're starting to follow, and they're starting to catch up with him, and they're starting to see, and, and, you know, as word's spreading, they're like, oh, man, I gotta catch this guy. The next picture is kind of a modern-day one, and obviously it's on the same thing, and this is also the Sea of Galilee from the same spot, and you've got a modern-day fisherman. It was super cool. This guy goes by and, and he's fishing. But once again, you can see the, the mountainsides of this, and you can see just how easy it is to see across. So what Jesus does at the start of this parable, and this is not the only time he does this, he gets a big crowd around him, right? Rockstar Jesus, they're there to see something happen. They're there for the show, the fireworks. And they come, and they, or maybe to get healed or whatever, and they're there. And Jesus is like getting crowded, and he's getting crowded, and people are surrounding them. So he jumps in a fishing boat, Clearly not like this one, but something like that. And he just pushes out to see a little bit. And from there, he uses that as his platform to, to speak to people. And you can see, I mean, if you guys have been around water, you know how this works. Water amplifies his voice. So 
it's starting to amplify his voice so people can hear it. And then as you can imagine, these hills, things go up. So it becomes this almost like theater, this amphitheater where Jesus is on the water and the water's amplifying his voice and it's going up the hills and he can speak to all these people. And this is where Jesus is. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. He's left his home. He's on the lake. There's water and he's in a boat and he's starting to, to talk to these people. And he goes, hey guys, guess what? It's story time with Jesus. I'm going to give you guys some stories, some parables here we go. And this is the first one he starts with. So we catch up with him here in verse 3. It says this. Then he told them many things in parables. Story time with Jesus. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he, scat- as he was... Um, uh, then he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell... Al- Uh, on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still, another seed fell on the ground, or fell on on the good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear." So Jesus' parable, his story, is about farming, right? And this idea, this story, this parable would be very easy for the people that time, the the people that are surrounding him, to hear, to understand, to comprehend. Images of seeds and sowing and failing crops and fruitful crops, harvest, all that kind of stuff would be super common metaphors for things like life or hardships or prosperity or, or instruction or judgment. This is very common. First century people, what did they do? They, they didn't go to McDonald's. They like grew their own food, right? So most of them would have been farmers or would have known exactly what farming's like. This parable is going to make a ton of sense for them. But I want to set something up for you guys that aren't first century farmers. Farming is different there than it is now. See, farming... Now you look, you drive, let's say you drive to Salem or Eugene and you look out and you see these like beautiful rows of crops of things growing and all that kind of stuff. Back then they didn't do that. They had a guy and he had a little like satchel-y thing and he had a bunch of seeds in it. And what he would do is he would just, right? And so there weren't these beautiful like planted rows of stuff. And that's the sower. That's the guy that's planting. Out it goes. And how their farms were set up is that they were just kind of connected. Everyone had to find some ground to grow something. Like, it wasn't like, oh, this is farmland, you know, out here, and then this is suburban, and here's the city. Like, it was, you know, they just pushed them together. So that's kind of what sets us up for this next thing. In verse 4, it talks about the first type of ground that the soil, or ground that the seed falls on, right? And I want to stop there, because it's often called the parable of the sower, But, like, can you already tell that this actually has nothing to do about the sower? Like, it doesn't give instructions about how you should sow. It doesn't say, well, the sower didn't use enough seed, or the sower spread it out too quickly, or the sower walked too fast while he was spreading. You know, it doesn't say anything about the sower. It really hits on the soil. 
And actually, in some Bibles, it, it now calls it the parable of the four soils. And I, and I think, after we get done to today, that you guys will agree that this is actually the parable of the four soils. So that first type of soil that Jesus talks about in verse 4, some fell along the path. Now, this path is a hard, compact, dry path. Like I was telling you, the farms are all together, right? So as people walk through the farms... Or, or to spread, they're creating this path. There's no cars, so people are always walking. There's these, these dry paths, and it just becomes like really hard, compacted ground. You also have to remember, this is the Middle East, which is not known as like, well, like the Pacific Northwest. It's kind of dry there, so naturally things are a little bit harder just in general. So this is the hard, dry pass that people, animals, and everyone has been walking on. And that's what the first seed falls on. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Now, the interesting part about this, also from being, just getting back from Israel, is that everything is rocky. I mean, like, the, into- the entire, like, country is, like, one giant rock. Like, we saw so many, like, construction sites. And, like, here you see a construction site, and you see the big yellow backhoe, and he always is, like, digging out dirt. There was not one backhoe here. They have them. They look the same, but instead of the little, like, scoopy scoop, no, it's a jackhammer. And it's just like, because there is no such thing as, like, digging up soil. It is all rock. Like, we'd see these, like, huge, like, buildings, and, like, the earth is, like, fading away, and you're like, is that even, like, is there a foundation? No, I think they just straight up built it on bedrock. Like, it's just on the ground. And that's the type of soil that's around there. And so when Jesus says that some fell on rocky soil, everyone's like, oh yeah, no kidding, like the entire place is rocky soil. But the interesting part that I read this week that I wanted to share with you is this, is that oftentimes when they plow the fields, they wouldn't see the rocky soil because they would plow it and there would be this thin layer of dirt, good soil that would be put on top of it. So as the farmer's going around and, and, and sowing the seeds, like it's falling on what looks like good soil, but indeed, or in fact, what's really happening is that underneath is just bedrock, right? Verse 7, we've got our third type of soil. Others fell among the thorns. This is the same thing. There would be these thorn patches that would get kind of plowed into the ground. They would fall under the ground to start. The seeds would go on top, and then at some point, those thorn patches are going to grow up around the seeds. And in verse 8, still others fell on good soil. And this is the soil that would produce viable crops. So we've got our four soils. And the crowd that is starting to hear this story is going, okay, like I showed up for miracles. Okay, maybe I showed up for some healing. You know that there's someone that's there is like, I showed up for the free drinks. And like, now they're there and they're going like, we're getting a free impromptu seminar on farming. Like, what is this guy? What is he doing? Right? Like, it's making sense to them, but they're like, where is he going with this? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to do what parables are meant to do. He's going to explain some hard truths with some easy or seemingly easy to comprehend analogies. And here in verse 10, this is when things start to get a little bit more dicey, a little bit more tricky, a little bit more hard to understand. In verse 10, it says this, the disciples came with him and uh, came to him and asked him, they're asking Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? Well, this, is, this is good to know. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever was, or whoever uh, has will be given more and they will be given abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. From them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. 
I was actually, as, like I said, as I was preparing for this, um, lots of people were saying, you know what, when, when I preach on the parable of the sower, I cut this part out because it's just confusing. So uh, let's just give the parable and give Jesus' answer and let people walk away. And I thought about that and I said, that, that's probably what I should do. And then I thought about it more and I was like, that's probably not what I should do. I, should, I, I, think, I, I think I want to tackle this. And so I started looking into this and started getting confused because at first you're like, wait, Jesus is telling people that they can't, like some people won't hear and like other people can hear and like this is confusing. I thought the good news was for everybody. But I think we have to understand a little bit about Matthew and then obviously a little bit about Isaiah to fully comprehend this. So let's start with Matthew. Let's do a little like deep dive into Matthew here. So Matthew is one of the four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Matthew is actually the most Jewish of the four Gospels. So he, he's the most Jewish, and so he, his like main concern here is kind of talking about, one, the Jewish people, but what he does in his central theme is this, is, is that this, there's this promise, this Old Testament promise, right? And now there's this fulfillment of it, and Jesus is going to ultimately be the fulfillment of this. So the, the theme is promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment, Matthew uses this several times. He uses this 20 plus times. 12 times he uses it very specifically the exact same language. Another dozen plus times he uses it slightly different language. But through this, throughout his book, what he continues to do is he says, hey, look at how this starts. Or look at, look at God's promise. He promises to bring salvation to the people of Israel and the whole world, and it's being fulfilled through Jesus. And he will actually quote the Old Testament reference. He'll qu- quote the Old Testament prophecy. There's no better example than the very, how Matthew starts his book, the very, very beginning. He starts his book with a riveting list of a genealogy. Like 41 generations, riveting list of genealogy. And for us today, I know whenever I read it, I'm like, and skip, 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 perfect. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, right? But this was huge for the people that he was writing for. Remember, Jewish guy, this is huge. Because what this is saying is it's saying, hey, you know what? It started off with Abraham, and it started off with a promise God made to Abraham. And look, 41 generations later, Jesus, the fulfillment of that promise. That's how he starts off his book. And he continues that theme all the way through. And that's what he's doing exactly here. He's, he's, you know, as Matthew was writing, you know, I always think, you know, obviously it's inspired by the Holy Spirit and what's supposed to be included is included. But like, as I'm thinking, I'm like, if I was going to write something and I'm thinking for the people, I'm like, all right, Jesus, parable, farming, beautiful. Ah, That part got a little sticky. I think people are going to get confused by that. Let's swipe that and go to the next thing where Jesus answers it, right? But no, he includes it because he knows that this is the promise and fulfillment. So let's pick up where Jesus, what Jesus is quoting. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And it starts here for us in, uh, in the second half of verse 14. It says this, You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For his people's heart has come to be calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn, I would heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. 
okay, Jesus, I was following along. I was good with the farming story, but why are we quoting Isaiah here? Why are we talking about secrets of the kingdom of heaven? Why some get it and some don't get it? Well, Isaiah 6-9 is, is, is the same thing. It's the same story that Jesus is telling, more or less. What's happening in Isaiah is God is telling Isaiah to go tell his people, his Israelites, his chosen people, these people that were no longer listening to him, no longer learning from his message, that their hearts had become calloused, that their hearts had become hard. God's patience is wearing thin, right? Over this like, constant rebellion of the Israelites. And so God's going to judge them. God says his judgment was to leave them with their hardened hearts and let them continue down the road of rebellion. So Isaiah is going, okay, cool, that's fine, that's your choice, God, you, you can do that. Why do you want me to go tell the people this? Like, like, if their hearts are already hardened, why should I go tell them? And God says, despite the message of judgment and the expectation that the people will not respond, still the word of God should be proclaimed. Still the word of God should be proclaimed. And what's Jesus doing now as he's about to tell these people on the hill? Some people are there for the miracle. Some people are there for the show. Some people are there for the drink. Some people are there for some free fish. You know, whatever. He's going, hey, some of you guys are going to get it. Some of you guys aren't. But no matter what, I'm a prophet like Isaiah, and I'm telling you right now, I'm here, right? If you get it, you get it. You don't, you don't. My word's going to be spread. My word's, I'm going to tell you what it is. But it's up to you to figure it out. It's up to you to listen and to receive it. Isaiah told the people of his day, listen, repent, and now Jesus is saying the same thing to the people on the shoreline. Hey, listen up. Here's the warning. Listen up, because I'm about to tell you a bunch of truth. So verses 1 through 9, Jesus tells the parables. Verses 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. Verses 10 through 15 is Jesus' proclamation that he was to a prophet and that the people are going to not understand his message just like the Israelites did not always understand God's message. Nevertheless, the word's going to be shared. Verse 17, for truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you, have seen, what you see, but do not see it, and hear what you hear, but do not hear it. People have been looking for this. The Israelites, this is what they're all about, right? They've been waiting. And the truth is, is that Jesus isn't what they thought it was, what he was, they thought he was going to be. It's because their eyes weren't open, their hearts weren't open, and their ears weren't open. And in verse 18 through 23, Jesus starts to explain the parable. 18, it says this, listen to what the parable of the sower means. This is really cool because, like I said, this is the only time that Jesus does this. Every other time, he just leaves the parable and leaves us hanging, but this time he's answering it. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. This is the hard path. These are the people that want nothing to do with God. These are the people that don't even want to hear the message. These are the people whose hearts are so hardened that the devil can just swoop in and grab any seed that has been planted there before they even get a chance to kind of like let that sink in. We know these people, right? Maybe for some of you, these people are your coworkers that don't want to hear anything about your religion. Don't, uh, no, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about your religion. Don't tell me. 
These are the people that hear the sound of a $3.5 million violin being played by a Grammy award-winning artist, and they immediately start to walk faster. And they walk faster because they want nothing to do with that music. Oh, who likes classical music? Who could ever like that type of music? Or they complain about it. Oh, that violin, it sounds scratchy. Oh, it's so annoying. I can't believe people that would even listen to this. Right? Their hearts are so hardened that they got nothing for it. Verse 20. The seed falling on rock, rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy. But since they do not have root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Last week, I had the opportunity to go and speak at Trout Creek Bible Camp uh, for what they call, I think, Junior Super. Uh, it's fourth through seventh graders. And as you can imagine, I've coming off of that, talking to fourth through seventh graders, and now like I'm talking to like, I don't know, average age 47-year-olds. And so like trying to process how that works and not use the same metaphors and whatever else. But I had this super cool uh, experience to talk to them. And I've had a lot of chances to be out at camps uh, over my years of youth ministry. And we see this all the time. And by no, no means do I want to say that this is what always happens at camp. But there is this thing called the camp high. Right? And they go and they hear about Jesus, and people hear about Jesus. And this happened this last time. We had so many kids raise their hands and, and, and accept Christ, and which is an amazing, amazing deal. But we have, I've seen this over the years. Is they get this camp high, they get so excited, and they spring up real fast. They bloom, they blossom. And then over time, they start to like wither a little bit, right? This is the first person that gets their kind of first road bump. And they start asking questions like, I thought Jesus was supposed to make me feel better. He was going to provide me with happiness. Or why would Jesus let something happen to me like that? And soon as those like first initial waves of wind and too hot a sun or whatever else, the plant starts to, starts to die. It starts to wither because it's not planted in firm ground. Like it's planted in great soil, small shallow soil, and it's good and it pops up, but it just doesn't have the root system to, to withstand these are the people that pass by Joshua Bell and immediately fall in love with his music. They're walking, maybe they're one of the seven, and they've never heard of him, and they go, oh my gosh, this person is amazing. Good night. I, I need to hear more of this. And it's on a Friday, and they go home over the weekend, and they look him up, and they, you know, put it on replay and replay, and they listen all weekend, and they're falling in love with this guy, and they're, oh my gosh, did you know that he was a Grammy Award? He has 40 albums. Oh my goodness. And they're just enveloped in this, what they had just heard. No, they don't know a ton about him, and that doesn't matter. They just love what they heard. But what happens is they go to work the next, the next day on Monday, and they tell somebody about it, and that person's like, what? You like them? Who? Why would you listen to that? You know, they get a hard time about it. And, and they realize it's, just, it's, it's actually just easier to go back to listening to what everyone else listens to at work. It's, it's easier just to, like, kind of follow them instead. Yeah, I didn't even actually know the history of classical music. I don't know much about it. Yeah, it was fun. And, you know, without much thought, they just kind of start to move on. They go back to listening to whatever they listen to. Verse 22, we get our third soil. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Guys, I think this one is, is probably... It's going to hit home for some because this is, this is huge. Um, a year and a half ago, I moved into a new house and had this lovely new sod. Beautiful, lush, dark green, perfect. And over the time, 
what happens with that. It gets its first winter, and it gets its first rain, and then it gets summer, and it kind of like grows and doesn't grow and whatever else. And especially after that first winter, it kind of comes back again, but it's a little bit thinner than it was before. A little yellower, a little thinner. And what happens is you get your first weed, and your second weed. And you don't even really notice it the first couple times, right? No one's like, oh man, I got two weeds in my yard. Like some of you are like, that would be fantastic. Like I, I got two weeds in my yard, right? And then it happens a little bit over time and a little bit over time. And then five years later, you wake up and you're like, you got a dandelion farm in your front yard. You don't even have grass anymore, right? And, and that's kind of what this parable is saying is like, it, it takes a little bit of time. But like over time, you're going to wake up someday and you're going to have a dandelion farm. You're not going to have this lush, beautiful grass anymore. And any landscaper will tell you this. They'll say the best defense against weeds is this. Keep a a beautiful, green, thick yard because then the weeds, when they blow in, they, they can't even take root. And so many of us think, oh, I'm going to go out and pull those ones. Oh, I'm going to go and pull that. Oh, I'm going to spray that. But it just starts to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, and it becomes kind of overwhelming and daunting, and we just kind of give up on it. It doesn't happen overnight. How many of us are in danger of being this type of soil? Ah, my kids got soccer. Yeah, we got practice on Sundays. Yeah, there's a couple tournaments. Oh, there's a few more games. And six months later, you haven't been in church. But you, you had good intentions. It just kind of snuck up on you. If I just had a little bit more money, then I would feel safe and secure and happy. You know, if I just chased it a little bit harder, that would be the answer, and then everything would kind of fall into place. If I only made 60, if I only made 80, if I only made 100, if I only made 200, whatever the number is, we're always chasing, right? Life is stressful, it's busy, it's difficult, and the world is pulling us in just a million different directions. Does this sound like anyone? I've got to go to work, I've got to go to the gym, I've got to walk the dog, I've got to pay the bills, I've got to catch up on Netflix, I've got to post on Instagram, I've got to pick up the kids from school, help my mom, clean the house, do yard work, and by the end of the day, you say, hey, I'll connect with Jesus tomorrow. If I, st- I was going to read my Bible tonight, but you know, like, even if I crack it open, I'm going to fall asleep right away, so it's not even worth it. I'll, just, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'm a little tired. I was busy. I didn't get a chance to pray today. That's okay. We'll get to it tomorrow. This is the person that loves Joshua Bell. They've been listening to his music for a while. But what happens is you fast forward a year, and they've been listening to a lot of Spotify. A lot of Spotify. Fast forward a year, and the Joshua Bell song pops up, and they're like, oh my goodness, I haven't heard this in a long time. I, I remember liking this. It's like, man, I haven't heard Mbop from Hanson in a long time. This is amazing. Like, it pops up and you're going, great, I remember that. And there's this, like, instant feeling of, like, oh, I love this. But what happens is it just, the playlist keeps going. And all of a sudden, you're like, time and time again, it's, it's no longer showing up on the radar. The music fades away because other music has come in and taken its place. And lastly, the good soil. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100, 60, 100, or 30 times what is sown. This is the one woman that stopped. Hey, Joshua Bell, I know who you are. I love your music. I saw you at the Lobby of Congress last night. It was fantastic. I don't know if you guys caught this. I love this part. This is the only thing that could happen in D.C. 
As Christians, have you ever said this? You're doing something super cool, or you're part of a super cool experience, and you're like, man, this only could happen with God. There, this is the only with God could this thing happen. Only, only in, could Jesus do that. She heard it. She wasn't distracted. She's in a subway station. She's got places to go, right? That's the nature of a subway station. But she doesn't matter. I'm willing to stop. I'm going to figure this out. I'm excited to be there. Matthew ends his gospel with this. He ends his gospel with the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's saying, go, go be a farmer. Go be a sower. Produce a crop. In fact, if you do that, I'm telling you, you're going to produce a crop that's great, bountiful, 30, 60, 100 times what you've sown. The promise is there. But don't worry about the results. In fact, you're not responsible for the results. See, in truth, we are all responsible for how we hear the message of God. We are all responsible for the type of soil our hearts are. We're all responsible for what we do with that seed. That's on us. And Jesus has given us that warning. Hey, when you hear the good news, it's up to you what you do with it. Some ears will be closed, some hearts will be hardened, but it's up to you. Here's the warning. Are you too busy to stop and hear the music? Are you too distracted with life to make growing your relationship with God a priority? Is God firmly planted in your heart? I think we can look at the results, and I know results aren't everything, but man, I think we can sometimes look at the results and you say, man, I've gotten, I've gotten no fruit in my life. I can't see anything that I've planted that's grown up. Well, then I, I honestly think that then, then that's worth checking out with yourself and with God. There's something there. Because God says, hey, man, I got this promise for you. Go out there, and things will, will bloom. Things will prosper because of you. So what's next? What's coming up? We're starting our parable series, right? And we, we've got through the first one here. And we know that they can be helpful if we are open to listening to them. So clearly the challenge is, is from this point on, listen the next few weeks. God says, hey, some of these parables are going to be confusing and difficult and challenging. So listen. Listen to what he's got to say. Guys, I'm going to be praying for you over this next couple weeks that, that, that this happens. I'm going to pray for you that your minds will be teased into active thought. I love that quote. Teased into active thought. That you would not be able to stop wrestling with the facts, the stories, and the things that Jesus wants us to comprehend. Whoever has ears, let them hear. We're all responsible. Where do you stand with that? Maybe it's time to have a conversation with God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your parables and I thank you for your stories. I thank you that you give us easy, bite-sized, relevant truths that really hit home on some really difficult, challenging, stretching, spiritual revelations. God, I pray each one of us would be encouraged and challenged to open our ears to your word, that we would be mindful of what our hearts are like, that we would prepare our hearts for you. And God, that we would just 
go out from here listening to what you have to share with us, God, and listening over the next few weeks as we hear more parables about you. In your holy name I pray, amen.